You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Direct from our central London studio, here's your host, Lori Havelock. This week on the Ticker Podcast, how to organize a perfect IR calendar, what investors and analysts really think about social media, and checking in with the IR class of 15 in New York City. Welcome back to the Ticker Podcast, your weekly digest of the top headlines from around the world of investor relations. I'm joined once again this week by Tim Heumann and Garnet Roach. Good morning. Hello. And featuring Richard Davis of RDIR on the phone. And we've reached fever pitch in the IR Mag Towers recently as the English football season has kicked off again. Can you believe it, guys? It's back after only a month and a half off. I can't believe it. I have to say. I'm very sorry. I don't want to, I don't want to cast you as, you know, the only lady in a podcast and, you know, by default, the only person who's not interested in football, but you know. I never said I wasn't interested in football. I had a, I had um, Lionel Messi as my desktop for quite some time last year. Thank you very much. You did have a deep passion for Lionel. I'll uh, have you know, I was on a tour of Barcelona Football Club just a couple of weeks ago, so in your face, Laurie. I'm sorry, Garnet. I've actually never been, so you've definitely beaten me on those stakes. Obviously not that interested in no. football, are you, Laurie? No, but I did go to watch Lane Orient play Stevenage last night in what was a, a top-of-the-table clash in the end down in League Two. I mean, if you're not familiar with football, you're definitely not going to be familiar with Leighton Orient. I'm sorry for any listeners who aren't interested. Should you be calling it soccer, or is that just something that we think? Well, the magazine is in, um, we use US spelling, um, and US style generally. So maybe we should be saying soccer and we not football. Soccer, that would be very um, weird though, wouldn't it? Maybe they should call football what it actually is, which is hand egg, which is the two, <laughs> those are the two things involved in that sport. Well, maybe our US listeners will be a bit more interested in the future because I believe the MLS is taking off to great strides. Lots of teams getting some very exciting players. But rather, it's more of an indication of the time of year. You know, it's, uh, it's another date on the calendar and someone who's been looking into putting IR dates on the calendar, <laughs> Garnet, look how... Smooth, that was. Beautiful, Laura, um, beautiful. And you have been speaking to um, Rich Davis of RDIR, and you've been getting some tips for how to construct the perfect IR calendar I've written, I've got written here, at least. Have you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can it quite offer that. perfect. Actually, what he, um, what Richard told me is that um, more important than the calendar itself is actually what you think about beforehand. And so before you set about putting your calendar together, what you really need to understand is what the business needs, of course. And so only then, he says, can you communicate your message to investors and put together a plan of action to get the most out of investor relations. He says, quote, that will vary from company to company. It will depend on where you are in your own growth cycle, where you are in terms of your position in the market, your size and your scale. So what you're really doing is thinking about what you want to achieve and Richard recommends creating a one or two page strategy document setting out these goals as well as um, talking about how you're actually going to measure your achievements. So when it comes to the actual calendar, what did he suggest should be included? Well, he started off with uh, saying, um, how long is a piece of string? Uh Pointing out that there's really no um, single formula for the perfect IR calendar. Sorry, Laurie. What a shame. I thought I was going to have a quick tip for success there. He does note a number of things that IROs need to consider if they're putting together a calendar from scratch, though, uh, such as working out how much time you should be devoting to what he calls the starting point of your IR activity, which is interface time with the buy side. He says you can sort of work back from that. Um, Of course, you also need to think about other resources, such as um, how much senior management time is available for IR activities, as well as, quote, how much laterality you have as an IRO to go and do things by yourself in terms of missionary work to new investors or upkeep traction work with existing investors. Of course, the financial calendar itself is uh, structured around financial reporting, and that will depend on your own reporting dates as a company. Though, of course, he notes that um, the financial calendar isn't exactly the same as the IR calendar. 
Companies do need to be flexible in case different business cases arise or if there's a change in the strategy, he notes. But um, more broadly, there's definitely um, a need for a structure in the IR calendar. When it comes to the above and beyond, those things that are required by regulation, that's when it really comes down to the, uh, the company-specific needs. He says that talking to advisors and consultants to work out what you need can help, but setting out a, a two- or three-year program is what's really useful. He also says he feels that the notion of um, a closed period as a time of no communication is quite old-fashioned. In fact, Richard advises IROs to use this time when you're not saying anything new to go out and meet new investors. And continuing with this theme, he says that IROs should, of course, include time in the calendar for a formal targeting process. He says, quote, IROs need to understand the scope and terrain of the potential investment into their business on a global basis. But keep your budget in mind, he warns. It's one thing saying that you're going to visit companies in 45 countries, but if you haven't got the budget to do so, you're wasting your own time and management time. And so part of this is really about efficiency as well. He says, quote, it's not necessarily about setting up the highest number of meetings, but about the most efficient use of time. And in fact, he recommends that IROs write a formal policy about how management time is used. He says, quote, too many companies simply accept meetings from the boat from the broker or even directly on a reactive basis without really thinking through the consequences in terms of time out and bang for the buck. Well, I think that's always good advice, isn't it? To be, um, not to be reactive in terms of your relationships with brokers, but to you know, actively rotate them and to give them your own target list of investors and just try and take control of the process as much as possible. I don't think I'd be well organized enough to be an IRO. I can't even stick together a Google Calendar for a week, let alone, you know, an hour by hour basis. No, I think I have um, maybe four, um, I have maybe four diaries on the go because I just don't use any of them. I keep losing them. Google Calendar started um, sending me messages telling me that I'm about to be late for something. I need to leave now. <laughs> oh, does it? Um, yeah, it sort of worked out, working out from what I've put as a diary entry along with my location and where I'm supposed to be going to. And sort of bringing all those details together. It's That's quite sinister, it's isn't it? a little bit creepy, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Be like, come on, Tim, you really should have left five minutes ago. Your mum will be really disappointed you haven't turned up to lunch on time. <laughs> also, they, they, they only let you know when there's only one option left to get there. I see. Like, you can still get there if you jump in a car and drive for 15 minutes. <laughs> if you get the Thames link and then a plane, you'll be okay. Go, 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 Tim. You know, I need to reassess how useful a calendar would be in my life. And one thing that IROs have also been looking at this week um, is how useful social media is. And of course, it's the, the age-old debate, Tim, but you've been looking into it a bit more deeply this week. Yes, well, there's a bit of a backlash against the use of IR-only Twitter accounts at the moment. Um, well, what, kicked off, what kicked it off was a decision by Nestle, which we've discussed previously on this podcast, to drop its IR-only Twitter feed. Uh, Nestle is a bit of an IR tech trailblazer, and so it carries a certain amount of influence. And so people have watched this decision very closely. Added to that, this year there's been some research arguing that IR-only accounts aren't that important, certainly not in, in relation to broader corporate accounts. And then um, Stephanie Harrig, who works with IR consultant Dixon Eaton, also wrote a blog about this at the start of August, also arguing that it would be better for companies to focus on their corporate accounts rather than Twitter accounts run just by the IR team. Her reasons for this included making the most of existing followers, avoiding confusion between two different accounts, and also an IR feed wouldn't necessarily have enough material to keep it going on a regular basis. It might have quiet periods between different results, for example. I actually spoke to Stephanie recently um, on this subject and asked her kind of if, if there were any companies that she thought were doing a good job with IR-only Twitter feeds. And, and she said that BASF um, did a lot of kind of inter 
tweeting, so to speak, um, between its different accounts. But even with a company like that, um, I think their IR-only account has maybe 3,000 followers, while the main corporate account has maybe 33,000. So it is a, a massive difference. And BASF, obviously, who do so well in our research so often. Tim, have you been looking into our own research into what investors and analysts think about social media as well? Yes. Well, I had a look at our um, Investor Perception Study Europe for this year. Now, this is the research report which gathers together all of the interviews that we do for our Europe Awards, where we talk to investors and analysts and ask them who's the best at IR in different areas. We also ask those investors and analysts about different areas of IR practice. What do you think about technology? What do you think about corporate reporting? So we asked them about social media and we had a look at all of the responses we got from those people. And many more of the respondents were negative about IR departments using social media than positive. So I've pulled out a couple of the quotes. For example, one UK sell-side respondent told us, quote, They all seem to be having a go. That's in reference to IR teams. But I don't use social media because it's not very useful. You need all the numbers in your model and this takes too much time to look through. Other investors and analysts said that they thought um, having IR teams or or even senior management on Twitter could potentially damage, damage the company's reputation and it's better handled through the corporate communications department. However, not everyone was, was negative on it. Um, here's one quote from someone that hopes that IR teams are going to keep using social media but going to make better use of it in the future. They said, quote, The way we get our morning news is changing and I check my Twitter feed first thing. This way we can select only what interests us. It's definitely a good thing. And what about IROs? Um, we've researched them in the past and about their opinion on social media. What do they think? Well, from the corporate side, there were signs um, a while ago that social media in general wouldn't take off with the IR crowd. Uh, we did a special report on this last year. We polled 886 IR professionals and asked them about their use of social media and also how they rated it in terms of productivity. First of all, not many of the people we polled actually use social media to communicate with investors. Just 12%, for example, use Twitter. And the figures for LinkedIn and Facebook were even lower. In terms of the productivity, what we did is we only asked people who were actually using social media to rate the productivity of them. So it was feedback from people who were actually having a go at it. And again, the scores were pretty low. And here, the the IROs who are using Twitter to communicate with investors rated it in terms of productivity as only 4.3 out of 10. So not very high. That compared to, for example, over 7 out of 10 for the IR website and I think over 5 for IR blogs. So they were really viewing social media as something that wasn't very productive. And then a whole load of other people, the majority of people, weren't even using it at all. So I think when you think about those viewpoints, which we reported on last year, that gives a sense of why some companies, including Nestle, are sort of rethinking their approach to social media at the moment. Actually, I, I don't use, um, I mean, I use social media, for, I use Twitter for work, but um, in my personal life, um, I don't, I can't be bothered with any of them. I'm always getting told off by my friends, and I feel like I'm part of a growing group of IROs who uh, feel like it's not that useful. Time out, the, uh, the um, well, the, the Global magazine, but has different editions in different cities, they did a big survey of Londoners this week, asking what made Londoners happy, what stressed them out, and so on. And then they had a list of things which indicated that someone was more likely to be happy. And one of them was that they don't use social media. I'm delighted. The survey also found that people who earn over £120,000 a year are the happiest. No, don't believe it. I feel like my, uh, my, my not using social media does not make up for my not earning over <laughs> £120,000 a year. I was shocked by the results as well. Weirdly enough, I've been looking at something quite similar, but people who maybe aren't quite earning £120,000 a year yet 
are the latest bunch of IR interns over in New York who have been taking part in the Neary New York Logler 9-11 internship program. The initiative offers those who lost a parent in the World Trade Center attacks the chance for paid internship in IR, PR or corporate communications. And they work with registered charities Tuesday's Children and the Silver Shield Foundation. Uh, and Neary New York helps those and find companies who are willing to take on interns and connect them with suitable candidates. Scheme is named for um, Elizabeth Logler, who was the former vice president of IR at eSpeed, who died uh, in New York on September the 11th. Um, and I've actually looked at this story every year since I started the mag- IR magazine. It's a quite nice uh, yard mark of the year every year when it comes around. And it's lovely to catch up with the students every year and a good way to feel increasingly old as they get younger. This year, it was the turn of financial services firm Georgeson, and they welcomed their first ever Logler intern this year, who was Jen Luckett, who's a psych and fine arts major at Ohio Wesleyan University and hails from Fairhaven, New Jersey. And though Georgeson have been running a formal summer internship program since summer 2014, um, they were approached this year by Neary New York about taking on a Logler student um, on the back of its success. And I spoke to both Jen and Bridget Kremin, who's the internship co-manager and business development director at the proxy solicitation firm. And she said immediately that Jen fit the bill perfectly for what they sought in their interns. She was driven, willing to learn, has a great attitude, um, and spoke of wanting to learn more about the financial services field, can you imagine? And stated that she was willing to take on challenging tasks and projects for the sake of her professional development. Um, I did loads of internships while I was at uni. Um, not all of them, I, I wouldn't say I learned that much on, uh, <laughs> on, on a number of them. But what, yeah. what exactly was Jen aiming for in, in this one? Uh, well, she said it was an opportunity to experience a professional world that was both of interest and relatively unknown. It's something we hear a lot when I try to explain what my job is. People don't really understand what investor relations is. Arguable whether I do either. And she says, quote, I was interested in learn- interning at Georgetown because of its internship program offers dynamic work experience in the field of financial services and would give me hands-on experience working with seasoned professionals, she explained. And she also said she learned something new every day in the period and got to experience a range of Georgetown's activities, including a lunch and learn with the firm's executives. I think we could implement that here. Um, working on group projects or diving into the world of corporate governance. Jen said she found particularly the debates surrounding recent say on pay rulings fascinating. And the Ohio student wouldn't comment on whether she was yet a fully converted IRO wannabe um, or potential IR magazine subscriber, but plans to complete her undergraduate studies next year. And Patrick Tracy, who I've been speaking to every year, who is nearing New York's outgoing president this year, uh, says supporting the internship is one of the organization's distinguishing features. And the Nearing New York board, he says, quote, is pleased to publicly reaffirm its commitment to the 9-11 Logan Memorial Internship Program again this year. And she'd, and he'd like to thank uh, board member Mark Kinani for his work on the program this season. Um, if you are interested in maybe offering an intern in offering a spot for an internship in summer 2016, um, you can reach Patrick Tracy. It's patrick.tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, at computershare.com. Um, do get in touch. It's a great initiative. Who knows? You could have the star IRO, a winner of an IR Magazine Award, in your very hands for a summer. It uh, definitely sounds much better than some of my internships, um, in particular NME, where I lived in a cupboard for two weeks. Thank you very much. Nice. Learned a lot. Uh, so also in the music industry, um, but less glamorous, I spent a couple of weeks at HMV putting stickers on CDs. <laughs> <laughs> they call that an internship. I think it's just a Christmas job. My, my school asked me where, what area I'd like to do some work experience in, and I said, the music industry. <laughs> well, that's quite lovely. But no, it's, it's, like I say, it's a great initiative and um, we'll be checking in with them again next year. You can read a bit more about um, what Jen got up to on our website, irmagazine.com, where, of course, there'll be the latest stories throughout the week. We're on Twitter at IRMagazine. You can also subscribe and listen to all the previous episodes of this podcast and IR Magazine Asks, uh, Jeff Cazette's weekly roundup of the latest IR research every week uh, on SoundCloud if you search for IR Magazine there. But thank you, Tim and Garnet, for joining me again this week. Thanks, Laurie. Thank you very much. Very good to have you along. And we will be back next week, I think, with a full complement of podcasters once again.
I believe so. I believe Condis is finally back. <laughs> a long, long holiday. A long summer holidays. But um, we will see you then. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.